For me, the problem is to stop the work, not to work. Because uh, uh, even today, after more than 30 years of volume making, I have a so deep uh, uh, interest in this field, in this work. I continuously want to discover something new. I continuously have new ideas. I continuously want to test something different. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Hi, I'm Joe McHugh, and early on in the Rosin the Bow project, my wife Paul and I had the opportunity to spend a month in Italy, home of the modern violin. And while there, we visited the town of San Paolo di Enza. Our purpose for the visit was to meet a violin maker named Marco Piccinotti. Marco makes stunningly beautiful instruments, and Bob Ray, who at the time owned our local violin shop here in Olympia, Washington, urged us to interview Marco for the project. But when we arrived in San Polo di Enza, which is located between Parma and Bologna, we discovered that a festival was taking place in the town, and try as we might, we could not find Marco's house and shop. We had the address written down on a piece of paper, but given our inability to speak Italian and the way the streets of the town were laid out, we wandered around for nearly two hours without success. We finally enlisted the aid of two smartly dressed police officers who, after several wrong turns, delivered us to Marco's door. Here now is part one of the conversation I had with Marco inside his shop, the rich aroma of wood shavings and varnish only adding to the enchantment of the moment. My name is Marco Piccinotti. Uh, I live and work in this uh, small town, Italian small town in the countryside. My small town is San Polo Denza in Reggio Emilia province, um, northern Italy. I was born in this town. I was born uh, 53 years ago. And um, I spent all my life in this town, uh, except some short periods for study um, during my upper school and more recently for some trip abroad. Uh, I left, um, no, sorry, I lived uh, for a long time along with my parents. My parents um, are uh, simple people. My father is a, is a carpenter and uh, he did uh, many woodworks in his life and he still continue to do something even if um, his his age is already 82 instead uh, my mother is a housewife very very simple housewife <laughs> uh, i i got from um, my father, generally speaking, from my family, a very deep uh, interested in woodworking. I was born in the woodworking, uh, among the woodworking. And since uh, my childhood, 
I developed a very deep uh, interest in the wood, in which way to work the wood, and uh, and uh, to make uh, any kind of things by wood. So since my childhood, I started to work the wood, and I immediately felt um, a very, a very deep relation, a very close relation with this material. Uh, of course, uh, when I was uh, a child, I did some only some small things, some something like small toys, small objects, and so on. Then, uh, little by little, even if uh, I my education was totally different, was a technical education, but I in any case I continued to have this deep relation, very close relation with the wood. And I continued uh, to work the wood uh, during my study and uh, also during um, my first experiences of work. I was employed in few companies um, when I was around 20, 25. Going back in your family, even further, back to your grandparents or great-grandparents. Was there other people who worked with wood? No. Um, ex- um, just uh, my, uh, one of my grandfather, the father of my mother, um, was in some way involved in woodworking. He made uh, barrels barrels of wood, and also wheels for carriage. Old carriage, do you know? Yeah, the Old wheels. Carriage? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, barrels would have been a cooper. Yeah. We call it cooper <laughs> in America. Uh, I don't know the US, uh, US word. Something like barrels for wine, you know, that kind of uh, works made by wood. Uh, instead, uh, going back uh, to other generation, I don't know anybody else involved in woodworking. What about music? Did anyone play even folk music? My father has a quite good education, quite good uh, musical education. He attended to the conservatory a few years when he was young. And unfortunately, he had to quit uh, f- because he was badly sick and he didn't finish his study. Anyway, he had the possibility to continue to play, especially uh, he was a clarinet player. Clarinet player and also saxophone player. Later, he he was interested also in um, accordion, so he started to play also accordion. Instead, um, my brother has a graduation in the conservatory in clarinet, and uh, he is graduated also in uh, um, also as a composer. So he has a quite um, quite deep musical education. Does he compose what would be called classical music, or he mainly classical music? 
anyway, you know, uh, for composers, it's not quite easy nowadays. So for him, uh, composition is just um, a hobby. He had to do different job, just uh, just to survive. <laughs> <laughs> With the music, with the music is not possible to survive, except for somebody very gifted and in some way very lucky. <laughs> so when did your life take this direction towards the violin and the woodwork? Yes, it was around, um, I was around 20 years old. Uh, after, um, just after... Um, the army service. At the time in Italy, army service was compulsory. Uh, one year was compulsory for everybody. Nowadays, it's totally different. Uh, it's just, um, it's just um, voluntary service. At the time, it was compulsory. So after this service, I was back to my work and um, I started to think um, which is the most prestigious object made by wood? Um, I, I realized the most prestigious object made by wood is a violin. So I focused my attention in this direction and I started and to research the possibility to have um, to have some some lessons, to have some directions, to join somebody able to give me useful information. Luckily, in this small town, a quite famous violin maker was living. And uh, my family had some connection with him. Not so close, but some connection. Uh, his name uh, was Sesto Rocchi. Sesto Rocchi was a, a student, uh, was a student and puppy of a very important Italian violin maker of the 28th century in Milan. That, that maker was Leandro Bisiak. Leandro Bisiak in around 1920-1930 had the most important uh, uh, violin shop probably all over the world. It was based in Milan, very close to uh, La Scala Theatre. I, I decided I decided to visit him to have some uh, some information regarding violin making, to have some opinion, some direction, something. This first meeting uh, was um, not so not so satisfactory for me, and um, in some way, in some way, I was um, I was surprised, surprised uh, because. Um, he tried to change my mind, explaining me violin making is very difficult. There are not so many possibilities. Uh, the market is not so big. There are already very many violin makers. 
and so on. Uh, anyway, he gave me some uh, some information regarding useful books. Um, of course, uh, I I immediately tried to buy these books, and I went to a music shop to get uh, this book, the books suggested by this maker. And I was very lucky. I was very lucky because the shopkeeper was a close friend of another very important violin maker. The shopkeeper told me, I can provide you these books, but if you are interested, I can introduce you to a very important and very famous violin maker. For me, that was a very great news. And, uh, and uh, just a few days later, we were there uh, in, in the workshop of this, uh, of this uh, important uh, master violin maker. The name of him is Renato Scrollavezza. I didn't know anything about him, but in very short time I understood how important he is. And he already was at the time. He was worldwide known. And he was a teacher in two violin making schools. Violin making school of Parma and violin making school of Milan. Uh, so he he um, suggested me to attend the school in Parma or in Milan. For me, Parma school was uh, much more um, easy, easier because much closer to my town. But in any case, my big problem was at that time. I was employee in a company. So for me, uh, it was impossible to attend the school the, uh, during that time. I explained to him uh, my problem and um, he decided to give me private lessons. Uh, in the first stage, I, I thought this is quite, quite normal for a violin maker, for a teacher in a violin making school. But uh, just a short time later, I realized that nobody else before than me had this kind of opportunity. So I immediately understood that was a, a very big luck for me. Uh, with the time, I realized uh, even better how lucky I was, because not only nobody else before than me, but also nobody else after than me <laughs> had this kind of opportunity. Uh, our our um, uh, schedule, our plan was I visited him every Saturday. And in short, uh, around uh, four months later, four months later from our first meeting, my first violin was finished. For, uh, yes, uh, five, uh, four months later. 
it was uh, immediately a very good um, a very good relation with um, with my teacher we have very 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 deep very close and very good relation and we our character matched very very well so even if we had lesson just once a week our lesson was always extremely intensive and we considered many aspects about violin making and uh, not just uh, regarding the the work on or this the stage i was doing in that moment but our this discussion was much much wider and much much deeper i got very very much from him uh, i continued in this way around three years three years then um, i i met him uh, i met i continue to meet him but not constantly not every saturday i mean not every saturday anyway our relation is an, until today very very close of course we don't meet so often today but uh, but uh, uh, at least a few times a year So the relationship would you say was almost like a surrogate father? Yes, yes. For sure he is uh, my father in violin making. This is for sure. This is for sure. And in some way he consider me his son in violin making. It's a great honor. We have uh, we have, yes, a great honor and um, a very very deep and very how can i say very emotional relation very emotional yeah we have um, very very strong feelings each other and how important is emotion in making violence uh, for me making violins was never a work it was a passion since the first stage since the beginning since the moment i had the idea to be involved in violin making i never considered violin making as a work for me is something um, is a reason of life it just so happens today as we're doing this interview there's quite a storm or at least the wind of a storm right outside And this is um when you go to your bench to work on a violin are there times when you your emotions are more active you have stronger passions other times you don't do you sometimes not work sometimes you do work depending on how you feel mm, f- for me when i work uh is something is something like uh, something re- uh, relaxing for me For me the problem is to stop the work not to work because uh, uh, even today after more than 30 years of violin making I have a so deep uh, uh, interest 
in this field, in this work, I continuously want to discover something new. I continuously have new ideas. I continuously want to test something different. I continuously feel deep stimulations. It's something like a, a big energy inside of me. I don't have so many other uh, things to do, or better, I can't do so many other things because uh, I am very, very much busy with my work for many different aspects. Uh, of course, uh, making instruments, uh, uh, repairing and so on, but uh, also um, to improve my knowledge, to do many researches. Additionally, nowadays, uh, it is necessary to have many relations. So I have uh, to take care of my relations, many contacts. I have to uh, um, organize my trips abroad. I travel um, uh, at least a few times a year, uh, sometimes a year, in uh, Asia, in uh, Europe, sometime also in the US mainly in the past and not recently. Anyway, I arrange my trip by myself in any detail. And you know, this, uh, this uh, takes time and I have, to, I have to, to be careful and I have to manage everything. How competitive is the world of violin making? Uh, it's very much competitive. First of all, we have to consider, um, generally speaking, um, uh, talking about uh, professional violin making is a very small portion of the violin uh, market. So the possibilities, are, the possibilities uh, to sell the instruments are not so many for uh, different aspects. Um, in, in some way, the makers or the um, availability of instruments is higher than the necessity. For this reason, um, violin making is very competitive, very competitive. And another aspect, very important, is in this field in violin making there is there isn't any ruler to take the measurement of the quality so we don't have any landmark talking about quality or other characteristics for this reason um, it's not so easy to explain and to demonstrate the real um, the real quality, the real value, the real characteristics to the customer. That's very interesting. So uh, there's nobody necessarily reviews violins like they would a book or a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, I guess it would be musicians who play them yes. and then tell their friends. This, this is one way. This is one way. part of what gets a violin uh, maker now is one of the possibility. Uh, but um, my objective is um, to, e to explain, to inform, uh, 
as many people as possible. And this is the this is my, my main objective when um, I, for example, when I attend to fairs or when I attend to um, conference seminaries, lectures, and so on. I try to explain to the audience, to the listeners, um, my method, uh, my method to, to judge the instruments and my method, uh, my point of view also, my point of view. And mainly, in addition to my explanation, I try to give them some demonstration. This is the most difficult aspect in violin making. We can talk very easily about many details uh, of violin making. We can say one thing, we can have one opinion or uh, the opposite, and uh, in any case we are right. So, for me, it is very important only what we can demonstrate. This is my, my, my style and my direction. I, since, since the beginning, when I came in, in this world, in this field, I immediately, uh, I immediately planned my professional aspect in this direction. I want to explain my idea with demonstration, with something concrete. And I want, I want to be able to repeat the same results and the same level of quality on all my instruments, not just once in a while by chance, without knowing the reason why I was able to do, to do this or to do that. And that would be... Yeah, that would be how the the masters work. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. In this direction, I developed my method of violin making. Do you play the violin? I got uh, lessons of violin um, to play the violin in the past because very, very, um, very quickly I understood it is absolutely necessary to have some playing abilities. Uh, at least to test the results. If not, I have uh, to accept the opinions of other people. And I will never have my own precise opinion. I consider this point extremely important for a violin maker. The violin maker, the real master violin maker, must have a precise opinion of uh, his um, results and the precise opinion of the quality of his instrument, both regarding artistical aspect and regarding uh, um, the sound, regarding uh, regarding the response. Um, yes, the, the sound in the wall and all the different different aspect of the sound. Because when we say the sound is something extremely generic, we have to focus the attention on many precise characteristics of, of the sound. So the training for a musician is to listen, really listen deeply, and that would be also 
essential to a good violin maker. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, the violin maker, in my opinion, the violin maker must develop the two aspect. I mean, the making of the instrument and the education, uh, the education to listen the sound. Pay attention, I talk about the sound, not about the music. They are two separated aspects. The music is for the player. This is uh, the professional aspect for player. The sound is uh, the voice of the instrument. So the sound doesn't depend by the note. Depend by other aspect. For sure depend, for example, by the playing style. I'm not so much interested if uh, this portion of note is played in correct way, if it's perfectly tuned or not. I am interested in the characteristics of the sound, not, uh, not in, the, um, in, in the technique, uh, in the perfection of the technique. Of the of the of the playing. Not long ago, I received an email from a man named Ari Zakam, who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Ari was considering buying a violin. He had played the violin when he was young, but then the demands of adulthood, a job, marriage, and fathering young children took over, and the violin was forgotten. Until that is, the pandemic came along, when Ari discovered that he needed to have music in his life again. So he visited Roland Feller's shop in San Francisco, where after trying out numerous instruments, he narrowed his choice down to three violins, an old French violin, an old Swiss violin, and a new violin made by Marco Piccinotti. That was why Ari had contacted me, because Roland had mentioned that I had interviewed Marco. So I sent Ari a copy of the interview, and Ari wound up buying the Piccinotti violin. For this podcast, I asked Ari to play something on his new violin, and here he plays a Bach partita.
when you listen to the sound, you, you have this one uh, challenge, which is you hear the instrument under your ear when you play it, but it's hard to sometimes to judge how it's projecting. Exactly, exactly. This is one uh, of the, um, I think, one of the most difficult uh, aspects to be considered. Uh, the violin maker must have the ability to understand very well both the um, both the situation, or uh, better, the violin maker must understand which kind of sound the listener uh, or the audience the audience listen uh, when he try he play his own instrument so um, the violin maker must uh, must know both the sensation the sensation of the player and the sensation of the audience how do you get that how do you get the knowledge of the audience sensation uh, of course uh, i i listen very for very long time I attended concert I I paid a lot of attention to many details I I also did um, uh, did uh, how can I say um, test playing uh, a violin then listening the same violin played by another player in the same room and so on to understand uh, which which were the differences which was the, the the sensation when i played and when i listened of course in the same room with the same bow and playing very very simple music very very simple concentrating uh, to produce the, the, the same kind of sound. This is extremely important. In any case, it's not easy, this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, test. But um, if uh, we do that in the proper way, it becomes a very good experience. It is necessary to repeat many times and to compare many different instruments to analyze um, more and more deeply every time all the small sound details and so on. So in working on your violin, the different parts, from carving the scroll to putting in the corner blocks to carving the bass bar, where have you found the ability to make a significant change by changing one of those parts or the way you approached it? What did you discover that you suddenly said, oh, if I did it that way? It was a long, uh, long, long way. I, since the beginning, I, I decided to proceed step by step. So I, when I changed something, I changed just one thing. Just one thing, and I tasted the, the result. Because if you change two things together, you are already in the fog. 
you don't know very well which one was to give you this result or that result, in which way the first aspect and the second influence the second and vice versa and so on. So we must proceed step by step, changing just one thing each time and testing the results. Of course, it's very, very long way. So that requires making many violins. Many violins, or um, it is possible to do something also on the same instrument. Because, for example, if we talk about the bridge, we can test many different bridges on the same violin. Or if we compare different kinds of strings, it's the same. Of course, if we talk about um, the body of the instrument, if we talk about the thickness, if we talk about bass bar and so on, but bass bar is possible to do on the same instrument, but uh, for example, to change the top is much more difficult. <laughs> mm. What part do you, uh, do you just get the greatest thrill out of? I mean, you're starting, the first starting is the drawing. Exactly, exactly, exactly. In the first stage of my career, I designed it very much. Um, uh, it is very important to consider all my models are designed by me since the beginning. I never copied. I never copied uh, the models from other authors uh, as, as they did. Of course, uh, my style and my idea were always influenced by some great makers of the past. I had inspiration and so on, but uh, in any case, I designed my, I designed by myself, my own, my own models, the model of the body, the, um, the scroll, the F all, all the most important, uh, detail of the instrument. Is that what your violin teacher encouraged you to do? Yes, we did very much together. Yes, that was, um, that was a, a great experience for me because um, uh, Renato Scrollavezza is a real artist. He's a real artist before the violin maker. So uh, that was an incredible um, an incredible, um, great experience for me. We designed uh, together very often, uh, or I, I designed my models, then he correct some, uh, some details. And together we, we tried to improve as much as possible. That was an incredible training. Very meticulous. So I'm a great believer that human beings come from all walks of life, genders, nations, cultures. Uh, but the violin, as we know it, the violin that we revere and that we continued in some general way to copy, Amati, Stradivari, yeah, yeah. Guarneri, Italians. Italians. Yeah. So tell me, what advantage is it for you? Or how do you feel about being an Italian violin maker? What does that bring to the, to the experience? As everybody knows, 
And I was, um, the violin was born in Italy. Nobody knows very well when and who was the first, who invented the violin. But one aspect is sure, we continue to make the violins in the same way since 500 years. Of course, if each one of the makers um, can uh, change something, but uh, the basic aspect of the making are not changed, are not changed. Um, I think um, in violin making there, are, there is um, a lot of freedom if we want uh, to, um, to express our um, artistic talent. So, I mean, uh, inside or considering the traditional violin making method, we can change very much regarding artistical aspects. And this makes, this makes the, 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 the character and the personality of each one of the makers. But again, the fact that that person is Italian. If we consider um, the time, uh, the period when the violin was born, in Italy, we had um, we had um, an incredible uh, an incredible um, energy regarding the arts. It was something like an explosion of arts in that period. So a lot of painters, a lot of sculpture, uh, architects, and so on. We did so many arts in that period, and um, and I consider. The violin and the violin and uh, all the other in instruments of uh, its family, something connected with that the historical period and and uh, the rising up of the arts in that period. Just very briefly on the history of this, I have a violin that was made in uh, in Germany, Marke Kirchen, mm -hmm. and it was made in 1925. Yeah. And um, I've often wondered what happened to that violin maker and that town when the Second World War occurred and Hitler came to power and all that came with that. And uh, what, what's your understanding of what the war meant in Italy to the violin? Uh, this is a very interesting question. Of course, uh, this kind of big tragedy involve everybody and um, for sure the violin makers were uh, influenced very much but i have to say we can find we can find very interesting works made exactly in that period by italian violin makers this is quite incredible and unbelievable because for sure, the life was very difficult for everybody. And for me, it, it is very difficult to think in that period, somebody interested to buy a violin. 
but uh, but uh, at least uh, in some cases uh, they did very great works and the production decreased as a um, total quantity but it continued anyway it continued how did the war affect this small town the mountains here are what are they called the um the, the, this small town um, was um, affected uh, not very much luckily not very much uh, we had some damages um, for two reasons there is a bridge on the river so the bridge was an, an uh, uh, objective of the war and also an uh, electric uh, cabin an electric um, station not so big but anyway at the time uh, it was um, it was an objective so we had some uh, bombing here and then there were the young men who went off to the war from the town I imagine mm-hmm. a lot of young men went, were, went into the army mm, yes 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 of course of course Uh, in addition, this area was um, very famous for um, partisan army. We had the local army against the, um, especially in this area, uh, we had a terrible period during the uh, Second World War, especially the last stage of the Second World War, when, uh, when the German occupied this area. So... Uh, they were um, very hard days, very hard days. Any stories in your own family? Did it impact particular men? Uh, yes, two people of my family were involved. Uh, one of my grandfather, the father of my father, was in the, in the army and also his uh, brother. His brother, yes, his brother. His brother was, um, became a prison in uh, North Africa, prison of the um, UK army. And um, instead, my grandfather, unfortunately for him, he participated in both the world wars, <laughs> both. The first when he was just 18 and uh, the second, The second, um, he was uh, he was in Africa. Then I don't remember very well. Anyway, anyway, he survived. <laughs> he survived. Two wars, yes. Somebody was watching out for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably yes. Somebody was watching for him. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. To learn more about the Rosin the Bow project, to hear additional podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org. And I'll end with a quote from Albert Einstein. 
I know that the most joy in my life has come to me from my violin. <laughs>